Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and today we're going to talk about golf stats. That's right. The good, the bad, and the ugly in the world of golf. Now, uh, this is my really my area of expertise. I think if you watch the show, if you know anything about me, I don't come on here and make bets or really do anything on a, a gut feeling. Uh, everything that I usually relay and do research from is stat-based. And the PGA Tour, the world of golf, has been generally behind other sporting organizations when it comes to the number of stats and the maturity of stats. I mean, at this point, Major League Baseball is about as mature as you can get, right? We've got every pitch uh, data for the last however many decades um, there's, there's RPMs, rotations, uh, per minute or per second on, on, on curve balls. Uh, they're inventing new stats. It's almost like it's too much. Golf is in the midst of this transition from very, very basic stats. Uh, did you hit the fairway? Yes or no. Did you hit the green in regulation? Yes or no. How many putts did you take to the strokes gained data and more advanced metrics that come from um, lasers and new technology. Now, golf in general has a very difficult uh, job when it comes to stats. And I think they can do better, of course, but they have a very difficult uh, undertaking with statistics because it's new guys every single week. Um, they're playing different courses under different conditions. Uh, they're changing pin locations and tee boxes every single day. There is very little uniformity in the world of golf, which makes structuring statistics very, very difficult. Hitting every fairway, uh, at Harbor town is much more, uh, celebrated than hitting every fairway at Kapalua where a fairway is a football field wide. Um, so that right there alone makes it challenging for statistics. It's not like basketball. Every basketball stadium has the same dimensions or court has the same dimensions. Every football field has the same dimensions. Baseball is actually unique because of the different dimensions, but it's the same rules. Uh, 90 feet to first base. It's not, you're not going to another stadium and it's, it's 120 feet in golf. You are, you're playing different holes at different lengths and, and different conditions. So we're going to dive into it um, and how it really helps in terms of placing golf wagers 
or creating fantasy golf lineups because there is certainly a we are in the midst of a statistical revolution in the world of golf right now what i want to start with is is laying the foundation for two types of stats um one is predictive and one is reactive and we will talk about which are which as we go throughout the show but using reactive stats to try to predict outcomes is a fool's errand and i will give you a great example of this um i think the industry has gotten a little bit away from this but what i would always see on twitter uh of course someone would write it in an article somewhere it would be a stat that was something like this the past five winners of x tournament whatever tournament they were writing up that week the last five winners of X tournament have finished in the top five of strokes gained putting in that week. And if you just take it at the surface, you're like, oh, wow, um, I need good putters this week. I need to find a good putter. But if you think about it, like, of course they rank in the top five in putting, for example, because you have to make putts to win a golf tournament. That's all that is saying are the guys who played the best win the event. That's all that stat is saying. And I would see that stat everywhere. The last five winners finished in the top 10 of, of strokes gained approach. Again, no kidding because the guy who finishes dead last in strokes gained approach isn't going to win. That's how you win events. That is a reactive stat trying to be used as a predictive stat and you are a fool for writing it up and you are a fool for listening to it okay i will get off my soapbox now but that one really uh really drives me crazy another one that drives me crazy is this over the past 10 years 40 percent of the shots have come from between 100 and 125 yards what does that mean uh, like I understand what it actually means, but what if I'm Dustin Johnson and I hit it further than everyone else and what you're hitting from 110 yards, I'm hitting from 90 yards. Or what if I, so now what, what these people want you to do is they want you to take that stat range and they say, okay, use stats for guys who are best from 100 to 125. Well, what happens when I'm from 126 yards? Am I magically not good at hitting from that area anymore why we're just cutting the line cutting these categories at arbitrary places we should really be looking at like the club they're hitting right i mean a a golfer can hit a pitching wedge anywhere from 90 to 150 yards depending on conditions and the way they the way they take a hack at it like there are so many variables that there is a point where golf stats become terrible and using uh, reactive stats to predict is one surefire way to find terrible stats um that's part one okay so we're going to talk about reactive and predictive stats now using those stats to to just to just make points to just say well you know the, the winners here have hit this many fairways or they made this many putts or the finishing you know the, the the winning score was 10 under par well it doesn't mean the winning score is going to be 10 under par every single every single tournament um 
using them as reactive stats to review is fine. Using them to look ahead is not. Now, what are predictive stats? Stats that actually, obviously, try to predict what is going to happen. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but what I like to do, and my regression models are very different than the regression models that you'll see in other places around the industry where they just say, yeah, this guy finished fifth in strokes game putting and he won, so you must get good putters this week. I look at the players who have success as a whole, uh, compare their position on the leaderboard with every PGA Tour stat for that year. So you're not necessarily looking to see who got hot as a putter one week or one day. You're looking at what types of players are actually capable of finding success at this course. So then I rank each course. This course, you know, strokes gained approach is more important at this course than any other course on the PGA Tour. Well, then I know I can invest a bit more in guys that are good ball strikers. Um, I'm using a year-long worth of, of basically putting uh, putting players into models, into a mold, into a, a characteristic type, and finding out which types of golfers have success at each course, and then investing in those golfers. That, to me is a much better predictive way to do it. Um, so that's kind of part one. Uh, let's talk about the basic stats. Do, do the basic stats matter? Uh, of course, the answer is kind of yes and no. The basic stats that I'm talking about are driving distance, driving accuracy, uh, greens in regulation, putts per hole. These are the ones that when you go play golf, you put on your scorecard. I do the same thing. Did I hit the fairway? Check. Did I miss? Did I hit the green? X. I, it took me two putts. That is what I. Uh, that's what I do on my scorecard because it doesn't require anything different. You know, did I get up and down from the bunker? Did I get? Did I have a sand save? Okay. Um, what? What? A couple things. Uh, it, for a stat like driving distance, most people don't realize there's a few different types of driving distance on the PGA Tour. For example. The one that you quote all the time or you hear quoted all the time, make just the regular driving distance stat. Did you know that they the PGA Tour chooses two holes per event and calculates the driving distance on those two holes alone? Not every hole. Now there is another stat that says driving distance for all holes, which is a little bit different or actually a lot different. Um, so you're not even getting full necessarily full complete data when you just look at driving distance. Driving accuracy, did you hit the fairway? It's fine, I guess. It shows how accurate of a, you know, can you hit the fairway? Uh, but some courses require more than just fairway. You know, are, were you in the right side of the fairway? Or better yet, was that where you were aiming? Were you aiming for the right side of the fairway and you yanked it left and you are still in the fairway and it was on the left side? There is a massive, massive percentage of shots that we are never going to know if they were good or bad shots because we're never going to know the golfer's intention. When a golfer misses a 10-foot putt, did he miss it because he misread it or did he miss it because he put a bad stroke on it? Those are two completely different things. Um, greens and regulation, that kind of drives me crazy too, right? I mean, did you hit this green in regulation? Yes. Is it better to be on the green 
in regulation and 45 feet away or to be just off the green in the fringe nine feet away. I would probably argue I'd rather be nine feet away in the fringe. So when you're counting, oh, this guy hits a lot of greens, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's where proximity comes into play. How close are you hitting it? How many opportunities are you giving yourself to make par? Or I'm sorry, to make birdie, for example. That's the stuff that I really care about. I don't care if you're hitting it to 50 feet every time. And this, and this also works differently. I mean, my Harbortown example or Pebble Beach, which has some of the smallest greens on the PGA Tour compared to Kapalua, which has some of the largest greens on the PGA Tour. If I hit a shot and I'm 70 feet away uh, on a Kapalua green and that counts as a green in regulation when I could have been 20 feet away and missed the green on, on small Pebble Beach uh, uh, greens. So really now the tournaments that you play are, dict are dictating how good or bad your stats are. It's just not great. And, and putts per hole. Putts per hole, what does that mean? I mean, 1.8 putts per hole. Okay, uh, so you do better than two putts per green. Um, but what if you are hitting it to six feet and two putting every time? Or what if you're hitting it to 50 feet and two putting it every time? They are completely different. I don't need to explain that to you, but the, the amount of times every week I hear these stats quoted is like nails on a chalkboard for me. It is absolutely just painful to listen to. So we're in this episode, we're going to try to bury some of these basic stats and get into what better, more predictive stats are going to be. And yes, we are certainly going to be tackling strokes gained. And that's where we're going to start right after these words. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn, and most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. And we're talking all about golf stats in this episode. At the top of the show, I might have got a little fired up about uh, predictive versus reactive stats and some of the bad stats that I hear quoted week in and week out. Uh, even though the golf community, the golf betting, the, the fantasy golf community, the, go the data golf community is, is getting uh, more mature, I still see so many terrible, terrible things uttered each week. Uh, so we're going to try to put a lot of that to bed. Um, 
and we're going to turn our attention to strokes gained right now. So this is something that I get asked about all the time. First of all, what does strokes gained mean? How do they calculate it? Why are all of the commentators on TV talking about it? Why are, are people in, in, in YouTube videos and television shows uh, quoting strokes gained numbers? What, what do I care? And I get it. It's a little abstract to wrap your head around. And I'm going to try to do my best to explain this to you. Um, first, and I'm, and I'm going to preface this by saying strokes gained to, to, uh, to acquire this stat, you need to have shot link at the course. So the PGA tour has these series of lasers and cameras and everything that they set up a grid style, uh, system that they set up at courses that tracks every shot. And because we have that information, you can translate that data into strokes gate. If those are, if, if that eco, if that uh, infrastructure is not set up at a golf course, we will not get strokes gained numbers. It is a problem. It is a problem that the PGA tour plays tournaments up to 25% of the tournaments on the schedule without this data. It would be like you looking at the NFL stats at the end of the year and saying, well, Tom Brady played better than this, but we don't have the stats from four of his games that uh, last year. We only have it for the other 12. That would be insane, right? It would be insane if we only counted uh, 75% of Mike Trout's hits in a year because we weren't keeping track at the other, at the other games. Um, so that's another soapbox issue for me that I think there needs to be whatever it takes type of investment to get this infrastructure set up at every single course. And I understand that um, the PGA Tour does not have necessarily the authority at every event. You know, when you go to Augusta National, you play by their rules. Uh, you go to the Open Championship, you play by the RNA's rules. So I understand uh, it is a difficult situation, but I think we've got to get it figured out. But anyway, the way that this works, uh, it was invented by Mark Brody, uh, who is actually pretty active on Twitter. You can ask him questions about this. <laughs> um, he might regret me saying that, but um, what it does is it data mines all of the information that we have from golfers, millions and millions of shots, right? I mean, pro I don't even know how many, just a ton of shots in the database that's, that, that give each and every shot a player hits a baseline average. So for example, there is an average number of shots it takes to, to get in the cup from 100 yards out in the middle of the fairway. Some guys are going to do it in two. Some guys are going to do it in three, four, five. Some guys are going to hole out. They're going to do it in one shot. When you take all of the shots that are ever played on the PGA Tour from 100 yards out in the middle of the fairway and you average them out, a number is created. It might be 2.4. Let's say, or let's say it's 2.5. Um, if you, from that position, hole out in two, so you hit your shot to 10 feet and you make the putt, you have gained a half a stroke on the field. In theory, there's more to it than that. But in theory, because the average is two and a half and you got home in two. So you gained two shots on the field. Stepping back, the easiest way to look at it is to say, okay, 
Um, you shot the average, the field average for today's round, everyone who played 140 guys played, the average was 72. Ricky Fowler shoots a 70. He gained two strokes on the field. He shoots a 74. He lost two strokes to the field. It's just creating an average, but it's the off the tee approach, uh, around the green and the putting numbers that usually confuse everyone. So, um, what you're able to do is you're able to kind of back out on the math. So if in my 100 yard uh, example from the fairway, uh, when, when, when Ricky Fowler, if Ricky Fowler hits that shot to 45 feet, that might be worse than the average. So he might have lost shots on his approach. So if the average is, you know, for example, Ricky Fowler, you know, the average from 100 yards out in the middle of the fairway is 10 feet. If Ricky Fowler hits it to 15, he just lost strokes on approach. Um, if he, if he hits it to three feet, he just gained strokes on approach. Okay. That's generally how it works, but you can back out of the math based on a, a score that each golfer takes. So believe it or not, there is a baseline stat for every possible shot that these guys could face. Um, there are, it's based on if you're in the fairway, if you're in the rough, if you're in the sand, there's different, uh, uh, baseline numbers for those. And then also they're in one yard increments off the green. So 168 yards, um, 167 yards, 166 yards. They all have different baselines and then one inch increments on the green. So a three and a half foot putt has a different, uh, average than a three, foot five inch putt for example okay so that's that's how it works now um there are some so to, to put this into a little bit of a of a, a better perspective here i have the chart uh the chart which shows you basically the averages so to the average on the pga tour to get in from three shots okay three whole shots the distance away uh, from the hole is 166 yards. So if you put PGA tour players, infinite amount of PGA tour players in the history of the tour from 166 yards out, the average is going to equate to exactly 3.0. Some are going to do it in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but the average is going to be three for four shots, 4.0 shots. It's 410 yards away. Uh, four and a half shots is 519 yards. Um, and then you start looking at putts, right? So for example, uh, an eight foot putt is a 50, 50 probability on the PGA tour. That is the point where on average, half the golfers make it and half the golfers miss it. So you really should not be cursing your golfers who hit it to 10 feet and miss the putt. They are going to do that third. Uh, they're only going to make the putt 38% of the time. Okay. That that's why this is important because when you put yourself up against, um, all of the other players that have ever played everyone in the field for that day, that week, that month, whatever, um, this is the best way to compare yourself. Are you hitting better shots than everyone else is really all it comes down to. And you're doing it on a shot by shot basis. Um, so that is why you've seen the influx of strokes gained commentary, talking about it on the telecast, um, guys like me who kind of live and die by the strokes gained categories. And 
there are better ones than than others. I mean, strokes gain total, right? That's that's my example of the field average of the day is 72 and Ricky Fowler shoots a 70. He gained two shots on the field. That is very important because that just says, I don't care how you got there. I don't care if you chipped in five times or hold out from the fairway. That was your score. That one is a lot easier for people to wrap their heads around. But then you start to break it down a little bit more. Strokes gained off the tee. Um, very important at courses. This is where strokes gained off the tee can be predictive because being able to hit fairways and putting yourself in a position off the tee is a very sticky stat. Meaning that week over week, month over month, day over day, the best drivers, the best guys off the tee are going to remain the best guys off the tee. Rory McIlroy, for example, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess that in about his last 25 rounds that he's played, he's gained strokes off the tee in 23 of them. He just always gains because he's always so much better than the field. Um, He's going to gain in that category like 90% of the time. So it's very, very sticky. Rory is rarely going to wake up and play around and be the worst, the worst guy off the tee in that round. It's almost never going to happen. Strokes gain approach is kind of similar. Uh, if you're a really good ball striker, if you're great with your irons, good with your wedges, that generally carries over week in and week out because it's a lot about distance control. You can really follow it up. And now the thing with strokes gain approach is that's kind of like your that's kind of like your scoring aspect of it. Okay, um, strokes gain off the tee puts you in position. But strokes gain approach is what's going to give you an opportunity. It's what's going to give you those eight foot putts that if you, hey, if you take 18 eight footers for birdie every round, the math says you're going to make nine of them. So you have to give yourself a, an opportunity to make the putt, which is why we talk so much and I talk so much about strokes gained approach. It's really the money stat. It's really the one that puts you in position. Um, stroke gain off the tee. This, this number can be all over the place. Uh, again, if I chip in, I'm going to get, I'm going to gain a ton of strokes on the field around the green. Um, if I have kind of a crappy chipping day, I can, I can lose a lot of strokes around the green. Um, it's just kind of a weird situation. I mean, if you hit every green in regulation, you don't even have a a strokes gained around the green number. So it's, it's good to know, but it's more random than, than probably any other strokes gain stat. Um, even including maybe putting. Uh, so week in and week out, I come on here and say strokes gained putting, like that is the most volatile stat um, because the, the, the difference is so small, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're putting from 10 feet and you lip it out, like that was probably a pretty good putt. You might've read it right. You might've, uh, you might've read it just wrong uh, and, and hit it perfectly and you hit it exactly on your line and it didn't drop you know, that hurts your strokes gained putting numbers. Um, In the same way that Rory is rarely, if ever going to finish last in strokes gained off the tee, the guy that is the worst putter will have rounds and tournaments where he's like a top 10 putter because it's so random. That's never going to happen. You know, um, Jim Furyk is never going to wake up and hit the ball 350 yards. But Keegan Bradley, notorious bad putter, is going to catch fire with the flat stick sometimes and put himself in the top 20 in putting for for the week. That's going to happen. So that is why 
I don't really care about strokes gain putting if you're a bad putter because there are going to be days and there are going to be weeks that you catch a hot flat stick and you put yourself in contention just because I'm embracing the volatility of that single stat. Okay, we're going to talk about more of, you know, recent form, course history, types of grasses, things that uh, we always want to hear about, and we're going to get to them right after these words. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, and it's all about golf stats today. The good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, I think I've had a couple of rants. I've probably had more rants already in this episode than like a year's worth of these shows combined. I don't have a lot of hot takes, uh, but golf stats get me all fired up. At least the bad ones do. Um, so on the in the last segment, I, I we, we really dove into strokes gained, and I hope I was able to describe why it's it's uh, so near and dear to my heart but I wanted to put a bow on one one final thing that I had mentioned and that was in regards to me being you know hashtag team no putt where I don't care if you're not a very good putter if you're great from tee to green if you're great on approach like that is what I really love and I'm, I'm expecting you to catch a hot putter eventually, right? Uh, at a point where if you just keep throwing it to 10 or 12 feet, you're going to make enough putts one day or one week to win the golf tournament or to exceed expectations. Um, the, the, it's not only my gut where that comes from, okay? So I obviously run a lot of models and especially now with not a lot of sports going on, I've had time to dive into this data. And um, just a week or two ago, I was looking at how often... Um, for example, a bad driver of the golf ball, a, a guy who ranks, you know, 50th or worse in strokes gained off the tee would finish the tournament in the top 20 of that category. Uh, and then I looked at that for each stat, right? And basically what you find is a bad putter is twice as likely to finish in the top 20 of strokes gained putting for that week than any other stat. Uh, because it's just, it's a lot of randomness, quite honestly. It's a lot of luck and it's a lot of random. So 
it basically happens about 16% of the time. 16% of the time, someone who is ranked about 40th to 80th in terms of strokes gained putting is going to finish in the top 20 of that stat category for this week. It's about 8% for the other stat categories. So that should tell you, you also want to be team no putt. If you, if you want to be team no something, you want to be team no putt for sure. So hopefully that helps uh, even more illustrate the point that I was trying to make in the previous segment. Okay, um, a couple other things. Uh, what What is predictive, right? What, what stats are predictive? Um, we mentioned the stickiness of stroke skiing off the tee, approach, tee to green. Um, one that I have found to be at least a little bit predictive is what a golfer does in his previous two rounds. So for example, what you'll find is, and this could be any golfer, you know, someone who finishes T35 for the week, they play okay, they hang around the cut line, then on Saturday and Sunday, they shoot like three under, four under, they have pretty decent rounds, um, and you know, they end up finishing T35, T21, whatever. They're never in contention, but their last two rounds were their two best rounds of the week. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but generally speaking, that is a okay correlator for someone who is going to outperform their baseline in the next week. And I say that very carefully because it is all like the 100th golfer in the world just has to play better than his expectation to mostly get you value in betting or to get you value in fantasy. You don't need the 100th ranked golfer to be Rory McIlroy. That's never going to happen, or it's rarely going to happen right over the course of the week. But a really good predictor is if that golfer um, played immediately the week before, their final two rounds, so Saturday and Sunday, were like their best two rounds of the week, or were uh, better than, than field average, that tends to carry over to the next week, and they will outperform their usual baseline. Now, that might mean they only finish 20th. If, if their usual baseline is they finish 50th, that would be a huge outperformance. Um, if their average performance is 10th, they might win the golf tournament, right? So it's, it's all relative, which I think you need to keep in mind, but the final two rounds of the previous event leading into the next event is something that I keep a very, very close eye on week in and week out, especially for those long shot bets, especially for first round leaders, uh, first round leaders. If I can get a guy who went, you know, five under four under in his previous two rounds and he's 151 to be your first, to be your first round leader. That's almost an auto bet for me. Throw a couple bucks on it. If he keeps it going, he can very easily cash that ticket for you at massive odds. And, uh, and you don't need him to play well the entire week, right? A lot of the inconsistency in golf is, all, you know, all of these guys can be the best guy for one day. All of them can be. Very few of them can be the best guy over the course of four days um, because the cream does rise to the top. So th that's, that's one thing. The question we always get is recent form versus course history. Obviously, in golf betting and fantasy golf, you would love a convergence of both. You would love a situation where that guy is playing well you know, he's got three straight top tens coming in. 
he's played here the last five years he's made the cut all five years he might have finished second one year he finished 10th in another like he has good results here those two things converging generally is what creates a good play uh ones that become chalky in fantasy ones that generally are going to be top of the betting board when it comes to your outright bets or something like that um but when you only have one of them when you only have recent form or you only have course history what do you want now this is where i'm kind of a little bit torn here because the math says the 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 numbers say you'd prefer recent form um you would rather a guy who even if he's had bad course history but is playing well right now can usually keep it rolling and play well at a place he normally hasn't played well in the past that the, the numbers and the results lean towards recent form i lean towards recent form because of those numbers so i will generally look at it and say hey th-, and it goes the other way too right so if a guy's playing poorly really bad and he shows up at a place that he's won multiple times um but he's missed five straight cuts you always hear someone say oh well this guy won here twice matt every where did matt every win like three like api was it api it had to have been api right so matt every wins like api two or three times uh misses seven straight cuts coming in something like that and everyone's like oh you should play matt every you should play matt every you should bet on matt every like why you know my my heart says and the numbers kind of say if you're not hitting it well you don't just show up at a place with good vibes and all of a sudden you can hit your driver and all of a sudden you can hit your irons that you were spraying all over the place now the only reason i say i am a little bit torn on this is because during this hiatus i've been very lucky to interview a lot of professional golfers pga tour corn Ferry tour mini tour all over the place okay and i try to ask something about this hey recent former course history right recent former course history they almost unanimously say like yeah i could be playing poorly but if i get to a place where i it fits my eye um i can score really well and i'm like but the numbers don't say that but but these guys really do believe and i think it's more so not necessarily that they've had success at that course but that that course fits their eye meaning if you're a player who likes to hit your hit your shots left to right and you have a bunch of dog legs right to left that's going to be a problem that's not necessarily going to fit your eye or if the distances of the holes kind of get you into comfortable clubs right like oh i can hit driver into a wide fairway and then have eight iron in that's that works for me or it's a really short course i get to hit three wood instead of driver that's great because i can't hit my driver right like it's different for every golfer so you're never going going to be able to quantify this which might be why i have such a difficult time with it um but there there is clearly a contingent and i shouldn't even say it's a contingent because it is basically almost unanimously uh every golfer that i spoke with uh would would take course history now they might be a little bit biased on that uh but the math says recent form 
The other thing I always like to ask them about is um, types of grass, because this is something we hear all the time. Oh, they're going on the Florida swing. They're going to get on Bermuda uh, or they're going wherever. They're going to get on bent. They're going to be on Kakuya. They're going to be putting on POA on the West Coast. That This guy can't putt on it or this guy loves it. Um, sure. Right? Like, generally speaking, golfers like the grass that they grew up on. Here in Southern California, there's a lot of Kakuya. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, Poana, right? And, and Poana grows throughout the day, right? So it buds in the afternoon and it gets really bumpy. So it's a little bit different if you're playing in the afternoon on, on Poana. But generally speaking, this stack gets thrown around like it is pure gold. Oh, this guy gains two strokes putting when he plays what he plays on Bermuda. How many rounds does he have? 11. Nothing. It's nothing. There's nothing there when he has that few rounds. Um, you don't know if he's just putting well. You don't know if he's hitting his line. You don't know if he read it wrong. You don't know anything. Um, and you don't know if the greens had anything to do with it. He might've just been having a great putting day and it happened to come on Bermuda. You have no idea. So I, I really dislike this argument about being beholden to grass types. Um, the other thing is now we are getting, what I always notice is a lot of the information's wrong about what type of grass we have. These, these golf courses are not only, um, redesigning so frequently, reseeding, overseeding, uh, so often that the, the type of grass is changing, but also a lot of them have hybrid strains. What about Tiff Eagle Bermuda? What about, uh, there's a course in Texas, I forget what it is, but they get their grass from Texas A&M. It's the only place in the world that has this type of grass. How am I supposed to factor that into this equation? So as there's more and more hybrids, as there's uh, less and less good information, less, less, uh, not a lot of data, small sample sizes of types of green. This to me really ranks up there as not a great stat. Um, and it's the, the problem is I have to take this stand because it's, it's, it's okay. Like it's, it's okay to know that, but everyone acts like this is gospel. When you, when Keith Mitchell gets on Bermuda, he's going to win. I get it. Tony Finau can't putt on POA. I hear it all the time. Um, I'm just not buying into it. All right. I want to talk about volatility in a good way right after these words. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, all about golf stats today. I have hopefully successfully eviscerated some of the more basic and poor stats from your vocabulary and from your attention. No longer do you need to sit back and listen to stats like this guy leads the field in greens and regulation. Who cares? Doesn't mean enough. Uh, you don't need to listen to stats that say the last five winners of this event uh, have finished in the top five in, in putting. No kidding. The guys that play the best win the golf tournament. That is a reactive stat. It is not a predictive stat. Hopefully you learned 
about the strokes gained categories and can use that information to, uh, to your benefit moving forward by being, uh, invested as a member of team, no putt, uh, embracing guys who hit the ball well off the tee and on approach, because those are the stickiest stats. And hopefully you can embrace some volatility. Let me explain. The, the number one most misunderstood thing about golf betting or fantasy golf is that this is a very volatile sport. And even as I say that, you won't understand how volatile it is. Rory McIlroy is the exception. The fact that he finishes in the top 10 of every event is historically amazing. Not amazing in 2019 or 2020, but in the world of golf and in the world since 2004, when we've had strokes gain data, Rory McIlroy is at tiger levels. Uh, it's, it's unheard of what he has been doing. For every other human player, uh, the game is a lot more difficult. Never in other sports, you know, basketball is such a good example because players play to their average so much. Um, LeBron James is never going to score two points in a game, you know, unless he gets hurt and leaves one minute in. But if he plays 36 minutes, he's never going to score two points. You will have plenty of times where the betting favorite, the guys in the top five favorites miss the cut. Don't even get to play the weekend. That is going to happen regularly in golf. Similar to baseball. Mike Trout can go 0 for 4 25% of his games. And he probably will. Strike out three times. Uh, maybe not Mike Trout. He's also not human. But you get my point. Sports are just different. Now, once you realize that golf is volatile, once you embrace it, once you say, okay, I get it, Rick. It's volatile then you can use it to your benefit and you can make decisions to embrace the volatility. Let me explain. There's a couple of different ways you can be volatile. You can be an average player who finishes 35th every single event. When you play poorly, you finish T50. When you play great, you finish T15. That's one type of player. They're not all that exciting in fantasy or in betting. Because they never win you anything. You know, they never win you any outright bets. They just make a good living finishing 25th every week or 35th every week. Then you get players that uh, almost in Ricky Bobby fashion, if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, and there's a few of these guys. There's a lot of these guys. Actually, there's not really that many of them because it's hard to win. Where they are either going to lose 10 strokes to the field and miss the cut, or they're going to gain 10 strokes to the field and win the golf tournament. For example, Kevin Na and Kevin Streelman, interesting that they're both named Kevin, are two very volatile in a good way players. 
Kevin Na, and I've been spouting this stat off for a while. Uh, now, it's been a long time because we've been out without golf for months, and uh, this dates back to, to last year. But there was a stretch of golf that Kevin Na won twice in 15 starts. That's insane. The amount of guys on tour who have won twice in a 15-start stretch, the list is incredibly short. Incredibly short. Kevin Na's on that list uh, because there are weeks he will just absolutely get scorching hot, catch fire, and win the golf tournament. That is a good volatile. That is the type of guy you want to bet outrights on because you're going to get a really good number on him, 50, 60, 80, 100 to 1, depending on the tournament, and he has legitimate winning upside. Kevin Streelman is another. Kevin Streelman does not win as much as Kevin Nod does, but Kevin Streelman finishes top five at a pretty incredible rate for his average finish. He is additionally volatile in a good way. Okay, so when you realize that volatility is the key to unlock these, I don't want to call them random outcomes, but like these low percentage outcomes, the way to win a large fantasy contest, the way to win a 150 to one outright bet. I'm not betting, I'm trying to think of who a good example would be. Jim Furyk, who I think I've used as another example in this show, at 150 to one, He's too solid. I want to bet Kevin Na at 150 to one. He might finish dead last and he might win the golf tournament. And I don't care. Like if you, if you finish second, you get me nothing in an outright. If you finish fifth, you get me nothing. I don't care if you make the cut, you better go win. So when you embrace that, it really changes the way that you look at the betting board and it really changes the way that you can find success in betting. Um, Additionally, I mentioned it just a little bit earlier, making pods, groups, types of players, profiles of players that are all similar is also a huge benefit. I mean, there's, there's what there's any given week. There's 150 golfers on the course, um, 200 and something guys have their tour card. There's so many names to know if you can start putting them into groups. Kevin Streelman, Kevin Na, what group can they, what, what group are they in? They're in the high upside group. Okay. Um, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, maybe Jason Day's falling out of this group. What group are they in? Um, uh, putters, right? Guys who can putt well. Uh, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, what group are they in? They're great off the tee. Rory's kind of just a, a stud in general. I mean, they all are, but you get the point. And what you can essentially do is you can create profiles and groups of golfers that might be there might be five guys in the group. There might be 10. There might be 50 guys in the group, depending on what it is. That in theory, when one of them has success, they all have success. If a course calls for really good ball strikers, and I have a group of golfers that are elite ball strikers, right? Webb Simpson might be in that group. Um, you know, if we're talking about wedges, maybe it's Zach Johnson who won a major with wedges alone. He won the masters, never going for, for, for greens and two. Um, maybe he falls in that group. That way, when you find out what you need 
for a week in, week out, hey, I need bombers. Hey, I need accurate guys and distance doesn't matter. Now you can start to go to your well, go to your group of golfers and start pulling them out and saying, okay, well, I'm going to bet this guy. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get this guy in a matchup. I'm going to put a top five bet on that guy because I have a built in pod of golfers that I'm able to work with. And then finally, um, this goes without saying, but I guess I have to say it because it comes up quite a bit. Know the rules of whatever you're doing, the bet that you're placing that top five bet. Um, do you get paid out in full if your guy finishes in a tie for fifth with three other people, or is it dead heat rules applying? Um, that's a big one. I bet you the vast majority of people who are betting top fives and top tens don't know what their book is paying out. Uh, I would be aware of that. If you're getting into contests, fantasy contests, pools, um, what are you looking for? Fantasy golf is a great example of this. I don't care where you finish in the golf tournament. I care how many fantasy points you score. And there is a difference. Yes, they will correlate, but there's going to be a handful of guys every week that make a ton of birdies, make an eagle or two, that are going to outperform their finishing position with fantasy points. They might finish ninth in fantasy points and 20th in the golf tournament. It happens. Every single week, it happens. And... Most people don't realize what you're playing for. Uh, when you're putting in fantasy lineups, you're not trying to pick the top five guys to finish the golf tournament. That'll probably end up being, well, uh, fine and dandy, but you really want the top five or six guys who are going to finish in fantasy points underneath the salary cap. It, it, it's, it sounds so simple, but I know this is happening because I know I'm getting questions about it every single week. And as golf makes its return, everyone is going to become a golf expert. Uh, you saw it with League of Legends, uh, with Korean baseball, Russian table tennis. When that's the only thing on, everyone on the internet is an expert at it, right? Oh yeah, I've been following Russian table tennis for years. No, you haven't. So what's going to happen is, Golf's going to come back and it's going to be one of the few sports back. And you're going to hear a lot of bad commentary and a lot of bad stats thrown around. And I'm hoping that after watching this show, you are at least much more aware of the good, the bad, and the ugly of golf stats. And you'll be able to use predictive stats and realize when someone is trying to show you reactive stats and use them as predictive stats. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that you learn a lot about sample sizes, what strokes gain data is, what stats are going to carry over from week to week, because those are the things that are going to make you better than everyone else, not only when golf comes back, but in the future of golf betting golf, uh, fantasy golf, because this is a massively growing industry where there's going to be a lot of attention on it in the future. I'm Rick Gaiman. You can follow me at Rick Rungood on Twitter, and I'd be happy to answer any of your questions, concerns, or comments about any of the things that we have covered today. This has been a very fun soapbox version where I got to rant about things and yell about things that I never yell about of golf betting 
on demand. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.